Hi, welcome to my podcast, Traumatic Transformations, where we help you find hope, peace, and purpose after a big life change or a traumatic event. I'm your host, Gunjani Patel, and I'm a licensed mental health therapist, trauma specialist, and a neuroscience nerd. Join me as I dive deep into resiliency, post-traumatic growth, and normalize mental health to reduce the stigma associated with it. In each episode, I plan to deliver science-backed, actionable tips and strategies so you can take back the control over your life and be inspired to be the best version of yourself with each day forward. So tune in every Tuesday for a featured guest and every Thursday for a solo episode with me, where we unpack mind, body, brain, and spirit connections related to each episode with the featured guest. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin today. The purpose of this podcast is to inform you, educate you, and raise your awareness. It is not intended to replace any medical advice or professional help seeking that you may need. So please use this information wisely and any opinion that I cast is not to replace any medical advice. And quickly before we start today, I just wanted to ask you a favor. If you like what you hear today, don't forget to subscribe so you never have to miss an episode. Thank you so much. And if you rate and review, it would really help us with the algorithm so people can easily search the show if they would like. So I would really love to hear your feedback and what you have to say uh, so I can bring you the content that's most fit for you. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to another brand new episode of Traumatic Transformations. I am so excited that you are here today and I'm about to talk to you about one of my favorite, favorite topics. Uh, one of them. So um, it entails intergenerational trauma and epigenetics. I actually uh, found this topic to be more exciting last year when I was doing some work, not just around um, this podcast, but I was recommended this book by one of my cousins, and it was called Breaking the Habit of Being You, How to Lose Your Mind and um, Making a New One. So it was a book by Joe Dispenza, Dr. Joe Dispenza, and he really was big on epigenetics and intergenerational trauma and the genetics of how... Um, you know, we acquire things in our life and how we pass it down to generations. And I had also, because of the work that I do, I had known about this for a long time, but just the scientific evidence was just mind boggling. So I wanted to spend some time today and bring you this episode. I mean, obviously, this is, you know, uh, a shorter episode. So you know that I cannot, you know, it's not a meta analysis of all the stuff that I found out there. But uh, I have tried to do my best in order to bring this topic to light and your awareness, because we know, you know, that on this podcast, we talk about very big, bold topics that are sometimes news, that are sometimes emerging, but very science-backed. So I wanted you to not miss out on that. So stay tuned till the very end, because I give you tips and tools about how to go about 
breaking the cycles of this intergenerational for your own family's sake and what you can do in order to sort of break the family's uh, uh, cycle as it relates to intergenerational trauma. So without further ado, I'm going to dive right in and we're going to talk about this. So stay stick around till the end and I really would love to hear your thoughts. And if you haven't subscribed, this is your first time then subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode, all this new exciting information. So just a disclaimer before I start. This is relatively a new body of trending research, so we don't have all the answers yet. The farthest study that I was able to find when I was doing research on this work was, you know, how I'm big on science and nerd and neuroscience um, nerdiness related to this entire podcast. So um, the latest thing that I was going to f- was I-, I was able to find was all the way dated back to 1998. So almost 20 years, but more and more deep work done since 2007. So fairly in the infancy stage, but very interesting work. And I really think we should pay attention to this. So we don't have all the answers, but what we know is already very alarming. So I think you guys should know if you're tuning in and if you're really into some of this stuff, then this is um, good that we at least have this information so we can do something about it. So as we've already known, you know, some of the things that um, some of the things that the study suggests is that based on what we know about mood disorders, which is depression, anxiety disorders, PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder um, being one of them, and then trauma-related disorders, and then addiction is also something I specialize in, but I also found some intergenerational epigenetics um transmission as it relates to it. So we know that 45, 47 to 50% of develop, you know, we, we are pre, genetically predisposed 45 to 50% of developing these dis- disorders from our parents. So if our parents were not diagnosed, then we're really in for an alarming su- surprise, which is sad, but good at the same time, because then it allows us to do something about it by becoming more aware. If you're tuning into this uh, episode, I really hope that you know this brings some things to light that you didn't know before. So it is to be noted that psychiatric conditions are very complex, which means that they're genetic, they're cultural, they're neurobiological, they're the perception of our events and our life experiences. So they're very complex things, but, and and thus a lot of times, you know, it gets uh, trivialized as being something in just people's minds and, um, you know, the whole shame and the stigma associated with it. But it's just very neurobiological as it is with any other physical condition, the medical condition that we experience. So, you know, I really hope that you think about this as a medical condition and not as just something that people think. Um, so about half the risk of developing these disorders are genetic, which is quite high. So you'll notice that if your parent, biological parents were not treated of these conditions, you most likely, if you were, you are in your 20s, then at some point before that situ- some situation in your life could have triggered these conditions. And because you were more vulnerable of getting triggered by stressful situations, because that's what the studies say, that people who have genetic- gen- are genetically more predisposed to getting these conditions are more vulnerable because it's in their genes. Um, so if there are certain life experiences that happen, it triggers them more and it triggers these conditions more and the neurocircuitry in your brain more than it would have if you weren't genetically predisposed to it. 
So really an important note to make there. Um, so one of the things that I found was that, you know, some of these stressful situations or some kind of traumatic situations in our life um, starts at some, you know, at certain course in our life. It, it starts at some point and it changes our brain. So what I want to make one thing very clear is that I want you to know there is nothing you did wrong or you can control to think through trauma, just the way your our neuropsychiatry uh, and the parts of our brain gets triggered, it's just, you know, it, it's not just in your head. You aren't weak for it. You shouldn't have, you know, there's nothing you could, you couldn't have done anything to avoid it. You can't control it. If you could, you would, but you can't, you know? So uh, I just, like I said, stick around till the hell, uh, till the end of this episode so I can, you know, bring to light some of the healing and self-healing tools that you can use in order to break the cycle and avoiding pa- passing these conditions to your offsprings at some point. And if, you're al- and if you already have off- offsprings and are just listening to this for the very first time, know that you still can do something about this. That's the good news, you know. Um, so that's something that I want you to keep in mind while you're listening to this work because some of this stuff seems scary if you've never heard some of, some of this research before. But if you have and if you're open to hearing things, um, then there is good news at the light at the end of the tunnel. So with mood, mood disorders, the beauty is that you can treat it completely. So stick around and listen how you can work on it. So, but let's dive right into the science and what I was able to find. So since you guys know it's Thursday and this is a smaller episode, it's going to be a short version and I cannot possibly bring to light everything that I found because I literally was sitting here researching for like a day and, you know, like trying to prep for this episode was almost like two hours. So uh, just wanted you to know, you know, I wanted to get you the best stuff out there. But if you want more information, if this is intriguing to you, reach out to me. My Gmail, my um, information is in the show notes and you know where to reach me. So definitely reach out to me. I would love to hear what you have to say about this and how this episode resonated with you. So Without further ado, just heads up, um, you know, we're going to start right here. And um, one of the articles that I read, it was called, it was written by Sue Coyle. And the article was called Intergenerational Trauma Legacies of Loss. And she writes in that article that intergenerational trauma affects one family. While each generation of that family may experience its own form of trauma, the first experience can be traced back to decades. The people at high risk of trauma and those with most difficulty working through it have experienced their own trauma, but have also come from a family where there was a trauma in their parents and often in their parents' experience, says Stephanie Sean, Dr. Stephanie Sean, a private practitioner. She owns and operates, you know, Atlanta Mindfulness Institute. So while trauma has been untreated in places or in families where traumas are not treated, which is most of the time the case, what is fairly common is that untreated trauma in the parent is transmitted through to the child, through the attachment bond and through the messaging about self and the world and safety and danger. So one of the very big things to note is that, you know, nurture plays a big role 
genetics is 50%, but other 50% is also nurturing and, you know, perception of events, you know, life experiences, all the things that I mentioned a little bit earlier. So pay attention to that because what we do, and a lot of times, you know, in terms of parenting, it's not what we say to our kids that they do. It's what we do is what they do. So if our trauma and our, let's say, for example, if your anxiety disorder is not treated and you find yourself anxious and on high alert more for little things, and especially this year, COVID has been very traumatic for a lot of people. So, you know, so if you are the person who is not used to changing changes or doesn't accept uncertainties too well, and imagine what you're role modeling to your kid. And I'm not saying this to shame you, but I'm saying this to help you bring that into self-awareness because emotional intelligence is one of the big things that can help um, break the cycle. So I'll, I'll talk more about that then, but I want to bring to light what are some of the things that happen as a part of epigenetics. Multiple generations can genetically transport, transmit the damage of trauma over time, if not treated or healed from it. So I'll explain what this means by starting with me. And I'll give you my example. So hopefully, you know, you can sort of figure this out in terms of what you're doing. And, you know, no matter who we are, at some point of our lives, you know, we have all experienced some kind of traumatic situation. If we haven't made a conscious effort to heal from it or, you know, work through it and develop adaptive skills, then the chances are that we continue to get triggered by either our relation, marital relationship and our spouse somehow, you know, triggers it left and right. And then our children, then another adds an added layer of bringing up some of the suckers that were not resolved. So just know that if there are certain things you're experiencing in terms of parenting, those things are going to come up uh, that were not resolved. So have that in the back of your head when you're parenting or when you're in a relationship with someone and you're experiencing conflicts because those are the ways that we get triggered. And if we aren't aware of our triggers, then they can be detrimental to our relationships and connections. So really being self-aware of what's happening for you when you are in relationships with people and you're parenting especially. So it started with my great-grandmother, and I'm sure that it didn't start with her, but her accounts of her parenting weren't the most ideal situation in my case. So my grandmother's severe depression was triggered when one of my uncles passed away at the age of 21. He suddenly just died of car accident. It was pretty horrific. Um, so it really, really, really triggered her severe depression, I'm sure, at the time. And her grief, I think, at, at, I would say now, looking back and knowing what I do, turned into CPTSD, which is complex PTSD. I mean, it was left unresolved and untreated for such a long time. But, um, you know, so she must have been in her 40s, mid-40s. And you know, even before that, her childhood wasn't the greatest. So I'm sure she passed it down to my mom. And uh, my mother's depression started when, I mean, her severe depression, I, I should say. I'm sure she was genetically prone to it. But her it was severely triggered um, when she was much younger. But it wasn't diagnosed till almost 40 years um, into it. And, you know, she was on and off, I'm sure, battling it. So we could never tell because back in India... Um, 
especially in those days past 20 years ago or 30 years ago, mental health wasn't at all um, important or brought to light. No, there is still so much stigma associated with it. So no one in our family, so to speak, you know, talked about mental health because of the stigma. And, you know, people I hear up, I mean, growing up, I would hear things like, People would just say, most of the time, invalidate would invalidate these conditions by saying, you know, you have everything you would you want, you could have. What would you be depressed about? Or it's just, you know, it, it'll heal itself with time. There is no such thing. Why, you know, why are, it's such a small thing? Why would you be so depressed about it? Just get over it. It's all in your head. So, needless to say, till I became licensed and got my stuff together. Which, you know, if you tune into episode one, you'll know all the stuff that I've been through. And I felt suicidal, quite, you know, quite a few times in my life. I was very hypervigilant. I felt worthless a lot of times and invisible almost. So I didn't care to get out of day, bed for days. I mean, it was bad when it was bad. I felt completely hopeless and thought suicide would take all of that pain away, which is what I saw my mother experiencing when her depression was once again triggered after our, you know, after my sisters and my divorce back in the day, because in South Asian community, getting divorced 20 years ago was just like, oh my goodness, the, the you know, world fell apart, the earth shattered kind of a situation. So she was really shameful of that. And she took it very internally that it was probably because of her upbringing that it resulted in that. Obviously, that wasn't the case. And that was quite irrational. But I mean, retrospectively, you know, uh, she was we learned a lot from that situation. So she was obviously de uh, depressed and it was really bad. But luckily, I had received really good help and I was in a very good place in my life after a lot of work. So needless to say, I got all, her the help that she very much needed. I almost moved to India for a year. So I could ensure that my mother was getting the help she needed and she's back to her fierce, loving, kind caring self and has learned to love and accept herself and learned a concept of boundaries and stuff in therapy, which is very important because the our relationship was very enmeshed looking back now that I, you know, but I, now I know that a lot of her traumas and or unresolved traumas had attributed to that enmeshed relationship and that parenting. So uh, one of the things that Sue Coyle also writes is that on a larger scale, it's uh, it's historical trauma, and there's a differentiation between historical trauma and, you know, intergenerational trauma. So they're very similar, but they Foster says of intergenerational and historical trauma, I think, though, that people talk about historical trauma about a com from a communal perspective well, versus intergenerational trauma, which may be talked more um, from a family point of view. So that's the big difference. So historical trauma is related to genocide of, a of the people where some major event is aimed at a particular group because of their status as an oppressed group, says Marianne Jacobs, Dr. Marianne Jacobs, okay, Jacobs, an associate professor and a chair at American Indian Studies at University of North Carolina. So it could be war, it could be cultural, such as when people's language is banned and they are not allowed to speak or print it. It could be, you know, disurrection of monuments such as graveyards and other sacred sites, any of those events that have to do with ignoring the humanity of a group and having that 
part of social policy, be it formal or informal, where it's not a crime to do that, you know, but where are, so I'm, what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to make is that our intergenerational trauma, you never know who, you know, what your great grandparents and your ancestors have been through. The events and experiences most commonly associated with historical trauma include slavery, the experiences of American Indians after European colonization, prisoners of war, and Holocaust and genocide in Rwanda. So some of those major, major events, you know, the um, historical trauma is not relegated to just these events, but, you know, um, you can, it, it can look as acts around the world, the Rwanda situation, like I um, mentioned. And someone can look back even further at the traumas Europeans experienced and brought with them to the Americas. That's what some one of the researchers says. So another really interesting study that I found was called Intergenerational Transmission of Stress in Humans. Because trauma and stress are very intertwined. You know, it's got the, the condition um, in terms of trauma that we diagnose as um, uh, to treat after a traumatic event is called post-traumatic stress disorder. So, you know, stress and trauma are very intermingled and thus it's so, so, so important to learn to manage your stress, you know. Um, and in that study, because you know how I'm so intrigued by stress and trauma, I think they're very correlated. And when unresolved or unmanned can lead to a lot of devastation in a person's life eventually. Thus, it's important to treat or to adapt new skills and disciplines to manage them. But here's a research or neuroimaging studies that have really focused. And one of the things I want to highlight for this particular study was that it was done on prenatal women. Um, so a lot of that, well, a lot of this next couple of minutes will focus on that. But it just, so don't feel guilty or bad when I discuss this. But I think my goal is to, is for you to be aware so you can do something about it as it relates to your child. If it's already happened, it's happened. What can you do? You can't. But what you can do is get your children the help they need. To get yourself the help you need so that when you're triggered, you adapt and develop new skills and things that you do so that you can role model it to them. You know, just like I was telling you earlier. So one of the things that happens um, as a part of trauma and what this study suggests, the intergenerational transmission of stress, is that, you know, our limbic structures, and if you listen to my episodes 5, 6, you know, this past episode 26, um, and a lot of other coming episodes, I, I really do my best to help you manage stress. Because, like I said, you know, my practice last year have just spiked up because of stress, uh, and anxiety disorders. So I just want to do my best to help you all uh, learn these skills and do something about some of these things, okay? So for our limbic system, which is our very subconscious mind, so that's one of the reasons why, you know, you can't think yourself way out of the, your trauma because that's the part of your brain which is very, you know, responsible for uh, emotions uh, and then memory, decision-making, and, you know, so it's really important that you know that, that there's nothing you can do to control it or think yourself out of it. You just have to get, you know, subconscious reprogramming or guided visualization or those calming things that light up the relaxation, the parasympathetic autonomous nervous system that keeps your stress in check. So 
What happens, for instance, prenatal anxiety was reported to associate with offspring's gray matter volume reductions in the prefrontal cortex, which is the left brain, your thinking, your logical type A accounting, you know, engineering part of your brain um, at six or nine years of age. And then studies suggested that maternal prenatal sex or stress could establish early structural changes in these regions that precede later clinical problems in offsprings. So behavioral, emotional problems, and possibly cognitive deficits may explain vulnerability of offsprings to psychopathology. In the foundational study by Solomon et al., 1988, observed that Holocaust survivor offspring had higher levels of PTSD symptoms after serving in the military during wartime, which we already know, despite being physically and psychologically healthy before combat experience. So similarly, separate studies have also observed increased vulnerability to PTSD and other psychiatric disorders, including depression among offsprings of Holocaust survivors, Yehuda. She's Dr. Rachel Yehuda et al., 1998 and 2001. She's really one of the leading researchers that I found consistently in some of the research that I was doing, and she seems to be a big deal um, in the field of intergenerational trauma. Lifetime maternal PTSD symptoms have also been known to dose dependently associate with offspring PTSD symptoms in general population. So comparable findings have also been observed in studies of offspring prenatally exposed to nuclear natural disasters, while offsprings of affected parents exhibited greater rates of depression and ADHD symptoms. So altogether, offspring outcomes, including be physical, behavioral, cognitive, and psychiatric effects um, that are initially noted anecdotally have been documented in empirically across number of studies. So just knowing that, you know, it affects all areas of your life. And thus, um, you know, it's really important to know that it's tra- we transmit this to our kids. And what one of the one of the LCSWs, her name is um, Sarah Gardner, she notes that when she focuses on in the families whose grandparents were grandparents' generation uh, were affected, the parenting in the next generation and how that affected the next generation and so on and so forth down the line. So perhaps one of the most visible ex- examples of intergenerational trauma can be seen in instances of sexual abuse. I really got interested in intergenerational trauma during her MSW program says one of the uh, researchers, leading researchers, Lovie Jackson Foster, an assistant professor. And she said that uh, in the School of Social Work at University of Pittsburgh, and she said that she was working with child abuse, um, working in a child abuse sex clinic and seeing that a lot of parents would come in. Most of them would be shocked to be there with their child. Part of the reason they were shocked was that they had been sexually abused, and so they thought that this would never happen to their children But so because they would be in a place where they would protect their child. But what she found was that in most cases, parents who was, the parent was not the abuser, but that the perpetrator was, was the same perpetrator, she continues. Some parents would see perpetrator holding their child in a way that they could have known and was an initiation of abuse, but because of their own experience, however, they could not act vigilantly because they 
often had symptoms of dissociation. They were virtually paralyzed by seeing it rather than being ignited to take actions. Um, less, gen less visibly, intergenerational trauma also plays out in neglect and in internal resources children gain or don't gain as a result of their parents. Uh, so in general sense that the world is okay and that in general sense that it's okay to be able to trust oneself and one's perception of reality, which is shaken when you are met with some kind of traumatic situation. So just know that one of the major barriers to interrupting intergenerational trauma is that very few in the past um, generation, if, if, the, if people in the past generation or your previous generation weren't treated, then you, they, the parenting that they do results in some of the traumatic situations that it's inevitable that you face because you don't learn, learn the adaptive skills like I was mentioning earlier. Here is how uh, one of the articles that I also found was What is Intergenerational Trauma by Claire Gillespie? And she writes about what experts say, and we know that trauma can manifest itself through stress, anxiety, fight or flight, and other heightened alert systems in our brains and body. But intergenerational trauma can also mask itself through learned behaviors, through beliefs and patterns that become ingrained. So this kind of wiring impacts people's personality, their relationships, their parenting, communication, and their views of the world. So Dr. De Silva says she often sees the results of trauma in families where the trauma is repeated. For instance, incest, like I was talking to you about earlier, it becomes a horrid experience that it's somehow accepted by family because the family becomes desensitized and feels hopeless and powerless, but the reoccurrence continues to happen and thus inadvertently enables the trauma to continue. The symptoms of generational trauma can include hypervigilance, a sense of shortened future, mistrust, aloofness, high anxiety, depression, um, panic attacks, nightmares, insomnia, a sensitive fight-or-flight response, low self-esteem and self-confidence um, and other things such as, you know, that I was mentioning to you earlier, where your relationships are affected, your inability to be empathetic, your inability to just be angered by situation. A lot of times we, most of these shame and deep, deep emotional responses that if you're, if you weren't taught how to manage those big, dark, uncomfortable emotions or weren't taught emotional intelligence growing up, then the chances are that you do not, your emotional regulation is not in check when certain things or when certain crises or when certain situations with your children or your spouse or your family members or yourself at work occur. And thus, you know, it's really a good advice. I, I would really, I normally am not into advice, but I would really uh, suggest that you seek help for it because doing it alone is just far from possible. Um, so having someone's help and support through that entire process really makes a big, big difference. Experts are also learning how trauma affects the immune system. And you know that. So, you know, just making sure that your uh, stress levels are in check and you learn to manage your stress. Trauma also influences the brain's immune system, which is high trauma reactive state. 
and they eat away at the nerve ending instead of enhancing growth and getting rid of damage. The microglia go haywire in the brain and causes depression, anxiety, dementia, and it also translates into genetic changes, which can be passed down to future generations, like we talked about, you know. So we know trauma can manifest itself by stress, anxiety, fight or flight, heightened alert systems in our brain and bodies. But intergenerational trauma can also mask our learned beliefs. So really important that we know that. So if you, if more than anything, if there's anything else that I want you to learn from this episode is that there is no shame in seeking help for PTSD, which is post-traumatic stress disorder, and changing your brain. Your brain does have the ability to change. Um, it's called neuroplasticity. And thus your neuro-circuitry, which, it's, uh, which, which it can be done through therapy, medications, self-healing, or other alternative treatments, you know, trauma, treat, trauma treatments like hypnotherapy, EMDR, subconscious treatments. You might be, you know, just like you're open to seeking help for diabetes, asthma, or high blood pressure, it's really important to seek help to manage your stress and, you know, your PTSD. Because one, one thing I'll leave you with is that if you learn to manage your stress, if you learn to manage your anxiety, if you learn to if you learn emotional intelligence with time, you consciously and intentionally create your life. And as a result of that, you uh, heal and you move forward and you role model that to your kids. So just wanted to, and since I find this topic so close to heart, and I want to hear from you what you think about this, I'm in, um, in the process of designing a course that teaches emotional intelligence to people in their 20s, but also as early as three, two and a half, three years old to, you know, different stages of life. So you can actually live an emotional, intelligent life. You can regulate your emotions. You can recognize your emotions and you can live healthily. So you're not, you're breaking the cycles. You're not passing it down to your future generations, but you're also healing your mind, body, brain, and spirit and living a wholesome, healthy life that you very much deserve to live in this life. So um, I hope that this information was useful. I really appreciate you tuning in and I'm in the process of designing courses and stuff. So stay tuned. I really appreciate you supporting me through this journey and sticking around with me through this entire process. So thank you so much for your love, your support each week and your trust in all my work. Thank you for being here and until next time, have a blessed week.